From the sandy, sandy dunes of Tatooine to the funeral pyres on Andor, this is the Star Warriors podcast. There is little to no doubt that Darth Vader is one of the most influential villains of all time. Today, we're going to discuss the character through the different medias, and to do that, I brought back my favorite scruffy-looking nerf herders. Today, I got Rocco, Jake, Colin, and Moses once again back in the studio, and uh, we're going we're gonna to start talking about the Dark Lord of the Sith. All right, so... I'm going to start it off with the ba- the most basic of questions. Uh, who was Vader to you growing up? Uh, you know, we all grew up in the original trilogy, uh, and Darth Vader, you know, probably was one of the, the the biggest villains of our of our childhood into into adulthood. So, uh, just kind of reflect on the character, how you were introduced to him, and I guess his influence up to today. Go ahead, Rocco. Sweet. Uh, so. Believe it or not, uh, the movie um, Star Wars introduced me to Darth Vader. Um, <laughs> and really? uh, Yeah, you're not going to believe it. Um, but no, uh, watching um, – obviously watching A New Hope for me, you know, introduced the character uh, physically. Uh, he was a physical imposing being and it wasn't until Empire that we got like a real fleshed out character – um, and I was of that age where I could take out the VHS of A New Hope and immediately put in the VHS of Empire. Like, I wasn't young enough to wait, you know, the years between movies. <laughs> so I, I I got to experience Vader through all three movies pretty much at the same time. Um, and for me, growing up, I would say he was the epitome of villain. He was what I matched every other villain up to in anything else I watched. Um, not only is he my favorite villain, he's my favorite char- fictional character ever. Hmm. Um, and the reason he was so terrifying is because he thought he was doing the right thing for the protection of the galaxy. And I think that that to me, that makes him very scary, but he was also influential as a character because I was so young when I got into star Wars, he was the first character that had complexity where I started to understand complexity in characters. You know, when you're a kid, you're watching, you know, your cartoon shows and how much complexity does SpongeBob have, you know what I mean? How much complexity does, you know, Ren and Stimpy have, you know, I mean, sure there's, there's darker levels to that, but we don't need to get tangential here. (laughs) I'm just saying, you know, with, with Vader, at that age, understanding that a character is more than a red laser sword and a black uh, helmet. He, he was very complex. He was once a hero. He was a fallen hero. Well, I want to know more about that and, and, and kind of understanding that as a kid. So really, uh, I would say that's, that's definitely my reflection of him growing up. Yeah, I remember that first time you see him walk through the uh, the the in, onto the Tantive Four, and it's just through the through the mist, and these white stormtroopers, and all of a sudden this black being comes out, mm-hmm. and that's like probably like when you're saying physical and imposing, that scene right there, just yes. the introduction alone, is just it's so memorable, uh, and just you know just historical in in, in films and and now Star Wars lore. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah amazing. Uh, Jake, go ahead. Yeah, so um, I saw the original trilogy in the theaters on the re-release, but I was, like, too young for them really to 
stick at least for episode four like episode five of course remember you know the whole father thing but like my first like real memory of vader and really sticking was actually uh return of the jedi when he's dying and he takes off his mask to see his son as anakin um so that was like my first real memory of vader so his character didn't really grow on me till i started seeing the uh prequel trilogy and being a moody teenager seeing that actually kind of related to anakin skywalker at the time but uh i i loved him in revenge of the sith like just seeing that corruption and how he finally turned that's it's weird to say but that's my vader is that turn into vader and then just how they've built on him since then but he is to me the the character of the flawed hero to what Rocco said, like he was this fallen hero that was doing the wrong things for what he thought was the right reasons. Yeah. Always that always makes the best villain always very like so dedicated to what they're doing because they, they believe in it, I guess, you know, and that's, that's the way to look at it. Let me ask you a question. Um, at the end of Jedi, the force ghosts. Who, do you do you feel that the change to hating Christensen was appropriate, or do you think they should have less left Sebastian Shaw? Oh man, that, that it gets into this challenging thought of when did Anakin Skywalker die? Did Anakin Skywalker die when he became Darth Vader, or did Anakin Skywalker die when Darth Vader died at the end of the episode? Uh, episode six. And I think Anakin Skywalker was always in there. So changing it doesn't really make as much sense as Lucas thinks it did. Okay. Anybody else have a, have a thought on that? I'll agree that personally, I just feel like, you know, he was redeemed. That was what that whole moment was for him and for Luke. And so if he's redeemed, He's Anakin again at that age. And so I know I, yeah, I, I didn't agree. I mean, I see what he was trying to do and that's why I don't hate it per se, but I, I prefer the original one. Um, and I wish, you know, you know, we could find a copy of that original movie, man. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I may have them on DVD. Oh man. I may, may I, have them. I used to. <laughs> you may be able to find them as a download somewhere. <laughs> going to bank if they ever re-release that. Yeah, yeah. And just to kind of uh, also, if I can, jump on about the change of Sebastian Shaw to Hayden Christensen. I mean, I feel like if, I don't know, George, why didn't he do Ewan McGregor instead of Alec Guinness? You know what I mean? Um, I, I guess it didn't make that that didn't make sense to me was do, you know, do them both. Yoda's Yoda, right? doesn't really, he's a puppet, right? But, but give us both or give us none. Keep Sebastian Shaw. I don't know. That's just, that's something I always thought. Every time I see that scene, I see Hayden there. Give me Ewan too. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. Or that CGI Yoda. No, never mind. No, they always Ugh, come back no. to a puppet eventually anyhow. So thank, thank the Mortis gods. Um, no, that's 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 great. Um, I always I always kind of question that change. I as a as kind of a purist didn't like it, um, but I also 
um, Anakin's grown on me as well since the Clone Wars cartoon. So that's that's uh, that's a much different conversation that we've had and may have again. Um, but let's see uh, who's up now. Um, Colin. I don't know if I want to get too personal in on this, but uh, I always I, I had people in my life who I just always had conflicts with growing up. Um, not going to name names or anything like that because there might be some family members that actually watch this. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but I always saw Vader at the end of at uh, Return of the Jedi as like the perfect example that anyone could be redeemed. Like there's this hopeful seven, eight-year-old Colin out there in the world who's just like, I can see the best in people. I can see them out there. And if Darth Vader, who slaughtered trillions of people, can be the good guy at the end, so can beep enter person in my life. You know, it's so that's where formative years came into place of saying, okay, you know, not everyone's a completely bad person there's still good in them in there and we just need to help them along with it and that's what tiny young i'm on my way to being a human being colin saw from vader throughout those movies yeah you see him come through you hear that in the beginning of four and he walks through the mist and it's obviously a guy who can kill people with his mind but he was ultimately a humane being somewhere in there that was able to be saved just at the very end and I always kind of loved that. I, I really liked that. And that's kind of how I went out into the world and how I see people. And how did that Colin inside you change when you watched him slaughter younglings? I think that we, since we didn't see him slaughter the younglings on screen, we um, can only assume that that was just uh, left-wing propaganda by the Republic and the Rebellion to – Instilling us a fear in the great Lord Vader, that is unnecessary. That's what I think. I, unless I see it happening, um, I, I just don't believe it. It's a fair answer. I'll take it. Uh, Moses. Um, by the time – I don't have like – I think I mentioned it in one of our other talks. I don't have um, the actual memory of watching 4 and 5, but I do remember knowing what was going on. When I was sitting on the floor watching Six, like on the TV when it first was out on HBO. And at that time, I mean, I must have been still five years old. Um, and so, like, a lot of the depth of the character, especially by Return, was lost on me. So as an original kind of icon, Vader was the ultimate villain. I mean, back to, you know, what, what Rocco said, visually, like, he's wearing the black. He has that kind of armor he has the cape he has the blood red lightsaber and even it was like all the senses too you know it was it was what he visually looked like it was the, the almost the feeling of him using force choke that thing force choke terrified me as a kid that was just like i was scared if someone might force choking me you know like <laughs> so and then like even up to just the sound the voice the um, not only like how intimidating when he talked was but literally like the breathing, the mechanical breathing through the thing was just, you know, by then you're just like, this guy is living off a machine. And it had that, you know, horrifying feel, especially when you're a kid of an old person in the hospital on, on breathing tubes and stuff. And, you know, as a kid, especially you don't understand life. And, and, and that, that, that idea and that thought is a little scary. And Vader brought that with him along with all this power. So 
he was the iconic villain. It wasn't until later where I was growing up and I started seeing, you know, more of the character and redemption and all that, that, you know, all that built, but as the original, and because of that, as, you know, as an original kid and see as a kid originally seeing him, he was the icon, the epitome of a villain. And so no matter how much I've learned to like see more about the character, when I think of villain, that's the first person that's ever going to come up ever. It's just like villain Vader. Okay. Who else? You know, shredder, this guy, that guy Vader's on top. Always. (laughs) He would win in like the villain showdown bracket. Oh, no doubt. Um, let me ask you a question about, uh, like, the first the first time you see him come on, you know, in the scene, and he's, like, lifting up Captain Antilles like like he's nothing, right? And that's, that's pretty impressive as well. I mean, eventually you kind of question, saying, like, why didn't he just lift him up with the Force? But they, I mean, why did Obi-Wan call him Darth and, and, and certain weird things that happened in A New Hope? But it's his introduction to us, I guess, all of us, you know, in those movies is is what sold you know, sold, sold the character and just basically set a, a, a precedent for every villain after that. So yeah. amazing. Just, yeah, just an amazing creation. All right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, from the movies. I want to know what your favorite Vader scene is and why. Go ahead, Rocco. Well, I don't know. I kind of, I, I've got a, a weird answer here. Um, and I, I, you know, getting a little uh, deep and personal. Um, my favorite Vader scene of all time, uh, Vader wasn't even in, but the scene was about him. And that was the conversation. And, and this wasn't always my favorite scene. This was just my favorite scene is getting older and, and understanding it more is the conversation Luke and Yoda had in Jedi before Yoda dies, right before Yoda dies. And he He's sitting there and Luke says, Yoda, is Darth Vader my father? And Yoda just turns him, you know, turns over. Fucking, I'm not, I'm not fucking dealing with this shit, you know. And, and Luke continues to prod and like, like, a, like a little boy. And the most, the, the words that kind of gave me a, a chill is when, you know, Yoda said it's, it's unfortunate. Luke said it's unfortunate. I know the truth. He said, no, it's unfortunate that you rushed to face him. You were not ready for the burden. And I think that it comes back to every boy who maybe has to learn things about their family that they didn't want to know or were too young to understand. And I think that that hits all young men. When, you know, it doesn't have to be your father, but it could be any family member, someone, you know, you, you rushed to, to that, you rushed to those ends and, and you were not ready for that burden. And now you have to face him. Now you must face him or, or in this example as a metaphor or her or whoever. Um, but that I think hits me the most as my favorite Vader scene because of that relationship with his son and how strained it is. And, and I don't, I guess the meaning behind that entire scene, I, I feel really sums up Darth Vader as, as what he is. He, you know, uh, I'm, I'm trying to put it into even God damn it. Um, regardless, uh, that is my favorite scene. I would say. That's that's pretty deep, Rocco. I uh, you know I never honestly that's that's 
that I never really thought about that way. And that's um, that whole when he leaves an empire and you just you want, you know, as a as a kid in a in a in a fan, you want him to go and fight Vader because that's the cool thing to do. Sure. Go save your friends. Right. Everybody would do that. You, that's your choice. But it it's so it's 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 kind of profound because now they're saying now go face him. Right. Mm-hmm. Now. Now you know. Now you know what we've been trying to protect you from, yes. and 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 we can't deny that to you anymore. So the ultimate like redemption of Darth Vader, um, you know that, that that's what kind of was frustrating with the sequels for me was that I loved that the first six movies were very much like a Vader. It's a very it's Vader's story, right? Yes. And you know the sequels are fine, but I like that core red, like redemption story and um we grew up thinking luke was the the hero and all as he is but in the end we know that the story really is about anakin skywalker so yes um yeah no that's that yeah that's really good um go ahead jake well so i gotta say normally i'm later in the order so i was expecting everyone to mention rogue one and the scene where he comes in by this point so visually visually Yes, but that isn't actually my favorite Vader scene. Mine is in A New Hope, and it's when he's at what we can call a board meeting with, you know, some of the generals, and uh, he force chokes someone. It's my favorite meeting because – or scene because it's the first time we see force choke. We get a ton of world building in that scene from the fact we learn the Senate's been disbanded that Vader's part of some ancient religion that no one else seems to believe in anymore. And I always felt in uh, episode four, Vader was more of a tool. He was Tarkin's tool. He was everyone else's tool. And I thought that just, it showed that even though Vader is this tool, you don't get on the wrong side of this guy. He will kill you. And there are not consequences for him killing you during a board meeting. So I always loved that scene. I thought it really established kind of who Darth Vader was and what the world was at that point. And I can tell you from uh, personal experience, I know that Jake definitely loves that purely because uh, I've been in meetings with him where I've seen him kind of squint his eyes just a little bit. Uh, if I'm if I'm sitting next to him, I can see his hand kind of like cusp just a little bit, and you know, you it, see that too. Yeah, it was just you, know, you were going to say it, right? I, I just knew yeah. you were going to say it. It's gotten even harder over remote meetings. <laughs> in person, it was a lot easier to force choke people. They're like, what are you doing, Jake? Absolutely. Nothing. I'm just going for my water, I promise. You. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a really good that's a really good one, Jake. I like that. Um it also, you know, the more we talk about why people forgot about the Jedi and, and all that and how they we can justify that in such a short amount of time, you know, the, the and already in episode four they're talking about it's a it's a you know, a mis, almost as if it's a mystical thing that nobody believes in anymore. So that's a that just brought that to my mind. So that's good. Thank you, Jake. Uh, go ahead, Colin. So I'm, I'm like Jake and I was actually expecting everyone to, you know, immediately jump on rogue one because of that, that monstrous, you know, that scene where we finally see Vader, you know, cut loose and, you know, get disastrous with the saber in a uh, live action. But I honestly stay with me here. 
It's the no scene. Do not want no. That is my favorite because it is cementing just how important Darth Vader is to the culture of Star Wars, to pop culture in general. Because you take, and I get what he was trying to do, he being George Lucas, to be like, ah, Frankenstein's monster. See this wonderful homage that I've done. I am a genius of cinema. No, you're really not. Um, because you've taken something we all love for so many different reasons, and you've turned him into a trope just to be like, I'm a movie fanboy. Do you like movies? Do you like old horror movies? I Oh, oh I'm going to... Turn it, take it, and put it into your favorite, you know, Star Wars villain. There it is. Hope you like my homage to Frankenstein's monster. No, stop it. I I love what he was trying to do just because it, it's, it's a good idea on paper, but it's like communism. On execution, it's terrible. Don't do it. Don't ruin the things we love. And that's probably my favorite scene because to this day, I will still look up different translations and um, – dubs of that scene in different languages just so i can hear it like in french and then have it translated back into american or there's a spanish one where the the voice actor who played him i think it was spanish where it was just so good it was just so blood curdling it was just so authentic sounding i'm like why wasn't that guy doing it from the start instead of old school james earl jones you know so there, there's my input on it, and thank you for your time. I'm, I'm glad you were very passionate about that scene. <laughs> um, I will give you, I'll, I'll give you one thing on that scene. When they closed the helmet, the way he shot that, or whatever they did to do that, was amazing. It's like that's the best part about that whole scene. You are right. Um, he felt so confident about that no that he took it and dumped it onto the end of Return of the Jedi. Even so, it's like. We couldn't escape it after that, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> that's that's you make me laugh. That's very good. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, Moses. Um, funny that we're talking about that because that dubbed no later is actually one of my pet peeves. Um, I think as a kid, my favorite scene is when he's fighting Luke at the end of Return. You know, his line, it's just that whole scene, you know, sister, you have a sister. And like that interaction between them. And I think at that time, especially, Star Wars was like the first trilogy, not only trilogy of movies, but one that was just an overarching story. You know, there you had a sequel and another sequel, but each one was its own, even like, you know, you had what, um, Back to the Future, but each movie was its own movie. Here was just like one, this is a three movie and it was one of the first, I think, movies, at least that I remember, to have done that. So when it reached to to you know that that third film and that pinnacle of the story, him versus Luke and everything going on, I mean, that was probably my favorite scene with Luke. It's my favorite scene with Vader. It's just one of my favorite scenes in Star Wars. I think growing up, I started noticing nuances in the filming, though, and uh, especially with Vader. Um, different motions and scenes he had where he didn't talk. And one of my favorite, two of my favorite scenes became both in return. I think again, um, one is when he's talking to Luke on the bridge after he's like captured him at Endor in a, on Endor. And then like he leaves uh, Luke, you know, says something about like, you know, I, you know, I'm going to save you or whatever. And they, they walk him away 
and he kind of is looking down into the forest or whatever, and he kind of like looks back at Luke and then looks back down. And you can see like right there, no words, no nothing. You can't even see facial expressions. The tilt of the helmet left and right, all that emotional conflict is so vivid. And that to, you know, growing up, I started realizing the power of filmmaking with that. And so that became my favorite scene. And it's the same thing later on when he's looking at the emperor and, you know, electrifying Luke and he looks back and forth and the conflict. And I was, I love that scene. So then later when he added the no, Oh my, yeah, it it just, it hurt. It hurt so much to see that. And I don't know why. I don't know why. And I will always be angry because he robbed me of my favorite scene. Fortunately, he didn't add no muttering in the bridge scene, you know, (laughs) because now I'd be really angry. I might have left Star Wars behind for good if that happened. But yeah, it was was the nuances. And, you know, I think we talked about it when we were talking about Mando because they they brought those nuances back, you know, with the no face and the helmet. And you don't, you didn't, especially back then, you know, you didn't, it it was was pretty ballsy to like not show a face on a character for for so long. And, And then to be able to like convey all these emotions, I mean, those scenes right there were some of my favorite Vader scenes. Amazing. Yeah, that um, the scene where he's talking about the first one you mentioned where the, the lightsaber duel, that is that is my favorite Vader scene and Luke scene, because the two like that is that is the transition right there. That's the that's the end of that's the end of Darth Vader. And it's such a it's in the music during that and all of it. It's just very emotional. Um, but what you just said about delivering a character just by being basically what we've all been talking about since the beginning, but imposing, um, not having to do a whole lot to really intimidate people besides just be Darth Vader. And I think that like the rogue one scene is like candy, you know, it's, it's awesome, but delicious, it's candy. Delicious yeah. candy. <laughs> but we don't need it at the same time. We, we had Vader for so long with just this imposing beast. Um, yeah, we got to see him fight a couple times, but it was his presence that, that really made him, um, and I'm glad you brought up the Mando without the mask. Yeah, go ahead. I do want to give Rogue One scene does deserve credit, though, because it's not mm-hmm. just candy. You know, you had these prequels where you showed Anakin jumping around and the Jedis being like superheroes, pretty much. And they they, they were perfect. They, they mastered that moment, like even in the simplicity of that choreography of him walking forward. It, it was showing his true power more than any of the prequels did. And he didn't have to flip around. He didn't. He had, you know, they they made sure that it felt more like Vader in Episode Four because that's literally you know an hour later or whatever than it did Vader in the end of three. And and so to, I you know I always respect that scene more than Candy as as you said because they it wasn't just him being a badass as Vader. It was him being Vader. The way he moved, the way he just slaughtered them. Like when I think of Vader, like scary, that's the scene I think about. Like he's walking towards you. I remember, like I went to Disney World and I did the the AR one. I'm not sure if any of you guys have done it, but at the end, Vader's coming. You know, you're this is you're wearing the goggles. You're in freaking Mustafar. You're holding like a, a blaster, and Vader appears, and you start shooting at him, and he's like blocking everyone. Simple, you know he barely moves to block things. Some of them come back to you 
And I literally just like pulled my gun down. I was just like, yeah, I'm fucked. Like, <laughs> you know, but like that fear that this guy is coming towards you and there is nothing you can do. And, and so Rogue One, I think, nailed that scene and that his power as far as, you know, strength goes. And yeah, I like that. Well, scene. <laughs> to piggyback off of that, even regarding Rogue One is Ben Mendelsohn when he said on the set in that scene where he was standing there in the castle, he said the door went up. And there he was in full costume. And he said at that point, that was the first time he had seen Vader in full costume on the set. And he said it was so terrifying that that child who saw episode four came back out that was, you know, scared of (laughs) Vader. And he was like that child was standing there because of how large (laughs) and imposing he is. Absolutely. And we all we all deserve that scene in Rogue One. That's I think that's my that's more the thing that I'm getting at. I think is that we waited so long to see something like that that we only imagined what Vader could do. Yeah, you know. And but from all of your answers, you didn't choose the Rogue One scene. You chose other uh, character building things than him just slicing a bunch of rebels up, which was awesome. But. <laughs> Um, there is so much more to the character as we've discussed. Uh, so next one, uh, we, we had a little talk about the 40 years of empire strikes back recently. Uh, so you guys, whoever's listening can check out that episode if you haven't already, but that was, that was the big thing, the big reveal for Vader, the big, the big change of basically star Wars, uh, at that point. So when, when that was revealed, um, and his new motivations uh, and building up to that. I don't know how, you know, when we were younger, uh, because we didn't get to see the theater for the first time, maybe it was spoiled. So I don't know how each of us was, was really introduced to that. So maybe you can kind of address that. But how did that affect the way you viewed the, you know, the story of Star Wars as you knew it up to that point and moving forward? So for Empire, I mean... Introduced to the movie in itself was a VHS tape. Um, and, uh, this was before the 1997, you know, the the remastered trilogy. At that point, I mean, as soon as those were out, I was in the theater almost every day. And Empire was the one that I, I went to the theater to see the most in 97. And uh, <clears throat> honestly, I think that that's Vader's movie. And I think, I, obviously, we talked a lot about this on the previous podcast about it, like like you were saying. Um, but it, it was truly, I think, Vader's movie. Um, if, you, if you're looking at A New Hope, it's all the physicality of the character. It's the physicality of Darth Vader and his being and standing in a doorway and, and fucking shit up, um, you know, uh, fighting Obi-Wan, etc. But But Empire fleshed him out in such a major way and I think made him scarier, especially since the way he would just kill his own men. And, and with the ruthlessness of that, he, de- he demanded perfection, not just of them, but because it's what he demanded out of himself. Vader was alive out of sheer will. If you think about it like this, he survived a volcano out of sheer will. No officers will fail him, period. And if they do, because he's always got that to draw from. Motherfucker, I dug myself out of a volcano just in my in hate, out of spite. 
and you tell me you came out of light speed too close to the system. We're going to play this game today because you're dead now. And, and that's, and that's how he, that's how he rolled. And I think that that just made him terrifying, but also like his precision was incredible. Um, and, and he, I think he had fun with it. You know, uh, what did he say? He started a sentence with captain Piet and ended, ended the sentence with Admiral Piet. And I think that he found a, he finds a joy. I think there's the Anakin <laughs> that comes out there with that smart ass, but he'll also kill you. So you have to like, you know, you have to be careful. Um, and one thing, I don't know how many of you read the comics, the Darth Vader comics, but one of my favorite things has to do with Empire and him and Empire is before then, you know, a lot of the Imperials didn't know who the fuck Vader was. He was just this big creature that was like kind of the Emperor's dog. And he was telling the Emperor, you're going to have to give me more control. You're going to have to tell these people who I am or they're not going to listen to me. Like this is Vader saying this to the Emperor. So the Emperor says, do what you must. He calls every single soldier into a hangar, addresses them, calls up five commanders and murders them in front of everyone else and then leaves the room. So, so again, to see that in the comic and then, and then hearken that to empire and how he was with them. And the comic took place before that to me, just, uh, empire is my favorite film. And what they did with Vader was to me, nothing short of amazing. Perfect. Go ahead, Jake. Well, Rocco, really quickly to add to the fear of Vader, uh, in one of the Thrawn books, he works alongside Vader and there's a whole conversation that like Vader's, uh, ship commander is having about like the last commander just went missing. We have no idea if Vader just decided to kill him. Like (laughs) I gotta be on my best behavior or this man could just kill me. So like, and it, there's like a whole thing like, yeah, people are known for going missing while serving under Vader's command. Like, so it, that's great. That's great. It, it's so great. Um, you know, I, I think I look back at Empire with everything we've learned from the comics, the books, the shows and the movies at this point. So uh, it really changes maybe not the way I view Star Wars, but the Vader story. And I have a headcanon that, and this is established also in the Throne books, that Vader believes Vader and Anakin are two separate people. He believes Anakin Skywalker is dead. And he has to face the fact that his children, well, at this point, one of his child children is alive from what he knows. And that shatters the barrier that was holding Anakin back from Vader. And I think in the comics, they even establish it when Vader's meditating, he's like this black void and there's one glowing butterfly flying around uh, Vader and that's Anakin. So it really establishes that even Vader saw them as separate people. He tells Thrawn multiple times, no, Anakin Skywalker's dead. That person is dead because Thrawn knows. Thrawn knows he's Anakin. And he just denies it every step of the way. So it really made me change the way I see Vader and the whole psyche around that character. I, I like that because 
that that relationship is important uh, because from when he was introduced in Rebels, I, I did I loved it that he was brought in, and then to do these books um, and to have that dynamic is important uh, because how many people know the fact that he is Vader, uh, Tarkin probably right, um, Grand Admiral Thrawn, the Emperor, not many. Ahsoka but, finds out. So yeah, Ahsoka senses it so it's just it's interesting to see him play like i really i really want to read that book now because i've been putting it off and putting it off but i want to read read that trilogy just because of the i guess the politics between those two yeah perfect yeah. uh go ahead colin so for me growing up i i, I loved first star wars obviously and then the then return of the jedi but when it came to empire i honestly couldn't wrap my head around what was happening i i guess i was too young to understand the nuances so all i can really tell you from how i related that movie and how it changed star wars for me was how i felt and i just think back on it and I, all i remember is feeling uncomfortable always uncomfortable especially with vader and because in the first movies, it was just like, ah, oh, here's the bad guy. And then in in the, the third one, it was, oh, here, here he is. But I'm seeing this human side of him. There was something that made him less of a monster. But in the second one, it was just viciousness. And I just felt so, so uncomfortable as a kid. So it cemented to me he was the villain, which – Harkens back to what I was talking to before, that when he was redeemed at the end, it was such a huge moment for me. Now back into adulthood and rewatching this movie over and over again and just seeing the incredible, like you said, Rocco, character growth that this – that Vader goes through. It cements that uncomfortable feeling because I didn't quite have a word for it as a kid and it was just the the monstrousness of it, that he was – so selfish and monstrous that in his goal, which was to find his son and to still hang on to that humanity, but still make it a a power grab at the same time. is such an incredible way to create a character in that moment. Instead of making this one dimensional dog on a leash, like he was in, in, in episode four. Now here we are in episode five. He's his own monster. He's in control and he doesn't care how he's getting what he wants to get, which is the 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 joining of his family. And as an adult, I still feel uncomfortable thinking about that because in his mind, that's love. I love my son enough to kill anyone to get to him and bring him back to me. And that's – that's oh, I've kind of gone off track here, but it, it just – it cements on that idea that that redemption at the end is just so much more impactful when he looks at his son and he says, you were right about me. You were right. I can. I do have good in me. And it's just, ah, oh, that's just such a, such a weird feeling inside, but that's all I can remember, honestly. So let me ask you, you got more scared after the reveal. It scared you more because it, or did it scare you less because all of a sudden there was more motivations? It, it, it scared me. 
it scared me less because now I see, oh, he's a human being under there. Because the whole time I was just like, this is a robot. He's just a monster. You've made him a monster. And now you've leaned into it. But but, but wait, he's someone's dad. Uh, how, how can he be a monster and be someone's parent? You know, I, I'm at a time in my life. I'm in my single digits. And all I know is parents are the people I look up to. How, how can a parent be a bad person? So it was like, ugh. Like I said, uncomfortable. <laughs> Go ahead, Moses. Um, to me, I think what Empire established, especially like at first, you know, he was always the bad guy. Even after that, you know, he's still the bad guy. And obviously then we're dealing with the redemption. But, um, it, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the Star Wars trilogy to me was one of the first stories where I saw like three movies on one big story versus separate stories. And to, it also um, was one of the first opportunities where I got to see a villain who had a backstory and who had character. And, you know, over the years, especially back then, 80s and 90s, you know, the bad guy was always, a you know, he's just a bad guy. He's like super bad. Everything he does is bad. And, you know, the good guy just has to take him out. And, you know, when it comes to movies, you'd have the big name actor as the good guy. And the bad guy was usually a semi big name, not as big as, you know, the protagonist, but the second best actor or whatever. But it wasn't until like later on where you started seeing films and writing where they started putting more character. I mean, a good example is like take Bond films and how the bad guys are always these bad guys. But then you get one of the more recent ones. Um, and I'm sure there's old ones, even with Sean Connery that were like that, but, uh, Skyfall, I think with, uh, was that the one with Javier Bardem? Yes. Like he was an amazing bad guy. He had all this, or when you take the second, uh, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man with Doc Ock, like, and even the, the new Spider-Man with, um, Michael Keaton, like he made the per, you know, you start giving these characters to the bad guy and, and, they're more real, which makes them more. They make it makes them scarier, but it also makes them more understandable, which makes their evil even scarier because you're just like, I get why he wants to do that. Uh, shouldn't I be against this? Why? And so Vader always represented that to me, especially at that you know during that time where I was just like, this isn't just the big bad guy. He has a past with Obi Wan Kenobi. He he used to be a hero and now he's not. And then you know later on he gets redeemed and so. Empire and, 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 you know, Vader in, in Empire is that representation, that anchor of where like, oh, bad guys are more than just bad guys. And in fact, if they are more than just bad guys, they're much better characters than, than normal, you know, in a story. And it always the, – the Empire always sank that into me. As a big comic book fan, the best heroes have – really the best villains and that's that's a firm belief of mine uh yeah it's it's i'm a big dc guy and i'm a firm believer that dc has one of the most one of the best villain stables uh out there because of the fact that they have such like levels to them and they're the perfect antithesis to that hero so thinking about um the complexity of that and Versus like when we were growing up and watching Saturday morning cartoons where it was the bad guy and it was got to stop Skeletor because he's always bad or whatever. And that's that's always one dimensional. All of a sudden, 
you can start thinking on this second dimension, uh, second dimension, third dimension, whatever you want to do. And these villains all of a sudden have character, like huge characters, uh, big personalities and, and motivations and more. So I, that's what I like about, like, as we grew up, um, that it wasn't always just about the good guys, that the villains also have really great stories. I mean, for those who have seen the animated series Avatar, the Airbender, Zuko is one of the best written characters of any, like, story. I mean, that, that to me, Airbender, that's a, we should do a podcast on that, by the way, because um, it's just, to, just as important almost as Star Wars. But the character development, and, and Zuko has that template of, like, he's the bad guy, you know, and then and there's changes and he grows, and when I see him, I'm just like, oh, these are, you know, templates that Star Wars laid down kind of thing. Absolutely. Anybody uh, have anything else to say before we break to commercial? No. Nope. All right. All right. Well, we will be back after some commercials with more Star Warriors. What you don't realize is that it ain't easy. It is hard goddamn work making something this pretty ass look like a geek. So I must be doing it for a reason. It's you. It's always been you. And it's worth fighting. All you have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to you. Join me. Gutsy Media Podcast. Because movies are our life. From the far reaches of the galaxy to an internet location near you, we're Don'tForgetATowel.com, your daily source for geeky pop culture news, reviews, interviews, and so much more. So as you're hitchhiking your way through the universe, don't forget to travel safe, and don't forget a towel. DFAT Comics is the publishing branch of Don'tForgetATowel.com, the only place to travel geekly. Focusing on creator-owned and independent titles like Hollowed, Pursuit of Plastic, and Fairy, and many more. DFAT Comics will be a mix of genres appealing to every kind of reader. Join the new source of comic book entertainment with DFAT Comics. And we're back from commercials uh, with Star Warriors. And so we're talking about Darth Vader, uh, one of the most iconic villains of all time. Uh, So... We're going to talk a little bit about Vader outside of the movies. And I'd like to know each one of your favorite uh, scene that either takes place in books or comics or other media. Uh, go ahead, Rocco. Um, well, I'm a, as you guys know, and we were just talking about this off air, if you will, uh, just a few seconds ago. Uh, the comics, I'd say, are be slowly, actually now quickly becoming my favorite conveyance of Star Wars. Um, I think Star Wars has done so well in the comics and I think Vader has done so well in the comics. And I know we were just talking about that quote, uh, you know, which I think is one of the most badass in the comics, uh, being surrounded by a bunch of rebels and saying, you know, I smell fear and dead men. Um, but really, even though how badass that is, we were just talking about that. I'd say the whole story arc of Vader obsessively trying to find Padme's body in order to uh, validate whether that was really his son or if the baby died with the mother like he was told. And I think, 
you know, uh, that for me, the where I went <gasps> was when he was working with Dr. Afra, and she said something along the lines of, why would he be looking for a mortician on Nabu? And like, you know, that in itself, you know, Vader's, you know, sleuth, sleuth skills, if you will, you know, and employing this, this young doctor to help him. Um, but I, I think that drive to, oh my God, I have, fa- my mom's dead. My wife is dead. I got this crinkly old fuck that keeps electrocuting me. Um, oh, I have family. I have family. And to, to Anakin, what was the most important thing? his family and that connection to that. So to think that his bloodline is alive, you know, um, and, and to see that driving force in the comic books, um, I would say definitely outside of the movies, that's my favorite, favorite thing. So in reference to, uh, which, which comics are you talking about? The ones that happened before empire or after the current, the current run. So it would be, Whatever, what that that one that one run that introduced Doctor Afra to us. Okay. Yes. Um, right, which so would be after four. Yeah, that would be after. If I'm correct, after We're A like New Hope. Beginning the first yes. Marvel Star Vader comics that were yes. correct side by side with the Star Wars or whatever. That exactly. That's the one. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Those those are great. And now you're also currently reading what's what's going on now, right? I've I've read every Darth Vader comic that ex, that I I know of that Marvel has. The like good. so good. Um, I'm definitely up. Good. Uh, I still have to read these these post uh Empire comics. I'm a little They're good. I'm on boycott until she sort of shows up, but um it's all good. <laughs> uh go ahead, Jake. Well, first while we're on comics, I got to say I'm I'm very sad we'll never get to see Chuck Wendig's Vader comic since he got pulled from it. I would have loved to see what he did with that character. Um, but my favorite scene outside of the movies, both of them actually take place in the Clone Wars. Uh, the m- most recent one, literally the end of the Clone Wars, where he finds uh, Ahsoka's lightsabers, and it kind of starts that trail that we see play off in Rebels when he knows Ahsoka isn't dead, but doesn't know, and then finally finds out. And then actually uh, the Mortis whole scene when the brother i can't 100 percent remember if he just puts his hand on him or something but he makes him see the future of vader and i love that scene because you see the fear in anakin's eyes over what he's going to become and then to have that wiped like he knew he knew what was going to happen and it still plays out just as he shown, like the they show his 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 the mask right in like a in like a fog or cloud shapes right and it and you hear the breath in that whole sequence. Uh, that's yeah, that was a really really awesome scene. And I I you know we've we've talked about the Mortis a lot and how how it was just spectacular and, and fantastical compared like giving you more of an a look into like the, you know, the more fantastic side of star Wars. So amazing. Um, but I guess that, that, that clone Wars scene at the end now, that's probably the, the most recent iconic scene, right. That we Vader yeah. scene. Yeah. That, yeah, that was, that was amazing. They put that in there. That was really beautiful. Um, go ahead, Colin. Who here plays video game? Oh, I do. There we go. 
Who here remembers Force Unleashed? Ooh, I do. Yes. That is probably outside of everything what you guys have mentioned and the movies. That opening scene to Force Unleashed, when you are Vader, you have every unlockable skill. You are doing exactly as what Moses was saying before in the rogues the Rogue One scene where you're just moving forward and just blowing everything away with force push, you know, electric abilities, the the throwing of the lightsaber, choking Wookiees, and then throwing the lightsaber at them. It was the most awesome thing I'd ever seen because, well, at that point as a gamer, I'd wanted to have a fully realized feeling of what it is to be Darth Vader. And we never really had that. I don't think, I can't think of a video game ever where we did. The closest we ever had to like a fully realized Star Wars game at that point was KOTOR. But then 2007, 2008, I think that's when uh, Force Unleashed came out. And you're just landed in Kashyyyk, and they're like, hey, have at. There is literally an, an achievement in the game where if you kill enough Wookiees, I think it's 100 Wookiees in that level, you get an achievement. Now, I understand how morbid that sounds, and I feel bad for my partner who's probably hearing me record this sentence that I have achieved that achievement just by standing still in a video game and killing – Helpless little walking carpets. I promise I'm still a good person inside. Just like Vader was. And that that was just such an awesome feeling in that moment to just be, I am Vader in every sense. And then he walks into that little hut. He finds Sam Witwer's little character. Uh, fun fact, Sam Witwer went on to voice Darth Maul in all of the Clone Wars and Rebel stuff. God bless that man. Um to find that little tiny Sam Witwer character and his dad and off screen, Vader's just like, oh, yeah, I've killed your dad. Crunch. And he just crushes the dude's windpipe off screen to just be like, come on, kid. We're going together off into this dark world of evil and destruction and you will be my tool. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that is probably that is my favorite off movie version of Darth Vader. That's awesome. Thank you for bringing that one up. I, um, I love those games and I was hoping that somebody would bring up something from 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 the past um it also it was a battlefront one the intro to that you walk it's like you walk in as vader to uh, echo base and you're just like annihilating people so it's along the same lines there um i you know speaking of video games i really want to play vader immortal still i really uh once once ps5 comes and after the holidays i gotta get i gotta get some vr going so um yeah, awesome. Just to just to be able to be Vader, I think that's one of the coolest things <laughs> uh, you can do in a video game. Go ahead, Moses. Yeah, I mean that's weird that you just mentioned it because uh, I literally just went through those on the PSVR, and it was uh, they did a good job on Vader there. Um, and, and I know we've been talking about a lot of the stuff about him, and uh, I think these t- these games take place a little before Return of the Jedi. I think um, if I remember correctly, or maybe before no before rogue one so but they they really focus on his obsession with padme you know and he's like looking through all these like ancient relic magical means to see you know how he can but anyway it it really shows that obsession that he has with that side of you know and it was a it was a cool aspect of him but anyway um i think my favorite all-time scene of of vader is going to be you know outside of the movies it's going to be in rebels but i'm gonna have to bring up clone wars because 
I'm all about the buildup. Like I said, with the, you know, the trilogy, how it was one big story to me, the buildup is everything. And one thing I know we've discussed this offline that I preferred rebels over clone wars is rebels had one bigger story versus clone wars being more episodic and stuff like that. But what clone wars was wonderful on wonderful about was, um, it was very subtle. Like you never noticed certain things about Anakin, but by the end, by watching like what five season five or six, you would subtly see like that darkness grow in him, you know, and it was beautiful when you noticed it because it was so so it wasn't just like him coming out and being like, I hate sand. I'm angry. Grr, you know, it was just like you never noticed it there until he's like beating the shit out of the guy who he thought was hitting on, on Padme. And then you're just like, damn, there's a lot of anger in you, you know. And so same thing with Ahsoka as a as a um as a Padawan, like, you know, it was like the side story for Anakin, you know, because obviously Ahsoka's not in the movies and you never hear her about her. But somehow, despite that feeling of, okay, well, she's not in the movie, she's just a, by the end of Clone Wars, she's become one of your favorite characters. And not only that, you've grown to see the connection that she has with Anakin. So when he, and this is my favorite Anakin scene, is when she leaves and he goes to stop her and she gives, like there's that close up of her giving him the, that little necklace or something and it, you know, and it's just the close up of their hands and like the, the pain he feels like her walking suddenly, like to me, episode three was justified because I was like, that's one of his biggest losses right there emotionally. Like, so when rebel, has Ahsoka and Vader meet? That was it. That fight. The the, the yeah, we the, lost. Yeah, and like where his the, the helmet cracks, and you see his eyes, and then like I forget what they say, but it's just she's like, you know, I'm gonna save you, and he's like, Anakin's dead, he's gone, or whatever, and she's like, I won't leave you again, and everything is fucking crumbling, and to that scene right there because. It's it's again it's right at that that cusp of of like being Anakin and being Vader and it's both at that time he's he, you know he, he, the the best Vaders are when he's Vader but Anakin is trying to break through but he's still enough Vader where you're like okay he's still Vader but you could see Anakin break through and and those I think are some of the most you know back to the other movies where he's like looks back and forth and you can see all this emotion. Those are the moments where, or you know, hiring Doctor Afra to 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 find out about Padme or his obsession from you know it's it's that Anakin inside of him that's trying to seep through to, to you know to hold on to that past. And so, I mean, outside of that, that was an amazing fight between the two of them. It was just so emotionally powerful. I mean, yeah, Rebels, man, that show <laughs> does it for me. Go ahead, Rocco. Now, just get, just to piggyback off of that, man, and I'm I'm so glad you brought up that fight because you're I just so right on all those points. But something just hearing you talk about that and remembering the scene in my head, I, I feel sometimes like they're they're the mirror images of each other, uh, Vader and the grown Ahsoka, because I feel like she is all she represents all the good things of Anakin. Yeah, of and, course. And Vader is, you know, obviously that dark side of Anakin and they were all in one room together. 
it was like literally the light side of Anakin, which was shown in Ahsoka and the dark yeah. side shown in Vader. And then the the line that hits me is when he says, I killed Anakin Skywalker. He was weak. She said, then I will avenge my master. And he yeah. said, revenge is not the Jedi way. She said, I am no Jedi. And Famous I think line right now. Yeah. And I think that if you neither was Anakin at that time because he was Vader, he was a Sith. So it was almost like, okay, Ahsoka's not a Jedi, but she's gone down a different path of trying to be good and do good things. Anakin's no longer a Jedi, and he's gone down this path. And just kind of like those two storms fucking hitting each other at the same time. I don't know. All that just played in my head when you brought that up. <laughs> and as, as nice as it was with, I mean, the, the last season of the new recent last season of Clone Wars was amazing. Um, especially when yes. you know they focused on, on Maul and Ahsoka. And while I love the scene where Vader finds the lightsabers, I wasn't the fondest of the scene where they meet up again, you know, and he gives her some, you know, the blue or the blue lightsabers now or whatever. And I mean, it was a nice scene, but I, I liked the break they had when, when she walked away. And, and to me, at least it felt more, uh, what's it called cyclical for it to end there. And then the next time they see each other is in rebels. I, I, I like that circle versus, Oh, there's this also one more time where they talked and, and you know, I'm not saying it's a bad scene. It, it is a great scene. And you do like, I got sentimental at that point because you know, everything, but I, oh, I sure. did that, that separation, that ending between the two in, in rebel and clone wars, I think was a key factor to what made the rebel scene so important to me. Um, and whether you show that scene in that last season of clone wars where they re-meet or not, doesn't affect those two scenes linking up. Go ahead, Jake. But really quick on that scene where Anakin gives Ahsoka the lightsabers, it's the second time she walks away from him because he makes the offer to return with him instead of going to Mandalore. And she says, no, but I will meet you on Coruscant. And that never happens, which gives that scene when she's like, I won't abandon you again. Just so much power. She has denied Anakin twice. Yeah. yeah. And the third time she doesn't think of, uh, when Obi-Wan, you know, the last time Obi-Wan sees Anakin and he's like, Oh, I mean the four, you know, when he's, it was that. It was just like you realize yeah. okay, this is the last goodbye. You know what I mean? And yeah, agreed. Actually, thinking back on it now, when you see the the, the end of Clone Wars where she you know walks away from him, I didn't know if because I hadn't seen Clone Wars. Obviously, I didn't know if Ahsoka is going to be back the final season, so it, it didn't feel as literal. But you know, knowing what happens when you saw the new one where she you know she leaves and says, "I'm going to meet you on Coruscant," that one hurt. That that definitely hurt because you're just like no you won't sorry. <laughs> Great examples. Um, I'll bring up I'll bring up mine. Uh, what it is is it's a comic cover. Uh, it's Darth Vader, the first run of Darth Vader from Marvel. It's Darth Vader number one. It's a variant cover, and what it is it's it's Vader's basically his lower part of his mask, and you know how it has the lines on it. Um, but those what it is is the cage. And you see like Jake Lloyd's Anakin in the cage. And that that image was always something that stuck with me when I saw it. I thought that was 
it was very uh yeah. yeah it's a really cool picture um i'll see if i can i'll share it with you guys um but yeah uh some really great things that happen outside of the movies uh if nobody you know if you haven't had the chance to read the comics or books uh i do recommend them these guys will recommend them uh so there is, there is more star wars after the movies so check it out uh so let's talk a little bit about the sequel trilogy uh because it is the Skywalker saga. So with Kylo Ren being the grand grandson of Darth Vader, spoiler alert, um, the, um, there was always kind of this, this, this idea that maybe Vader would show up or Anakin would show up in some form or another, uh, and, and give him a good talking to now, how would you have wanted something like that to play out? It didn't have to be like how I just brought it up recklessly but um just how would you how would have you have liked anakin to be brought into this this trilogy and and to have it make a little bit more sense for the kylo ren story go ahead rocco um honestly as much as i really did love the sequel trilogy because it's star wars and i love star wars um i think that anakin the ghost of anakin you know his force essence that was a big miss I mean, we got his voice at the end, um, but I mean, how I would I, how would I have wanted that to play out? Um, I thought it would have been cool. Uh, to Jake's point earlier, you know, there being two two Anakin's, or you know, obviously an Anakin and a Darth Vader. I would have loved to see a yellow-eyed ghost of Va- of Anakin calling himself Darth Vader, still played by Hayden Christensen with Kylo feeding him lies, feeding him deceit. It's just the, the dark side aura. And then Ray actually communing with Anakin, Anakin and that dichotomy as well, you know, which is the real Anakin, you know, kind of driving that, you know, is he, is he evil and, and helping Kylo? Is he good by helping Ray? And is Ray going to be like, dude, you got to hang out with my Anakin ghost. Cause he's nice. <laughs> You know, and and again, obviously, I'm oversimplifying it, but again, that's how I would have wanted to see it. Uh, you know, really, that tear between the two personalities, and one with one, one with the other, and then eventually only coming to the true Anakin, which maybe is both. Maybe we get more complex ending than we got before. Um, I don't know. I'm not a filmmaker. I just want to be one. But that's, uh, you know, that's my answer. That could still happen, Rocco. Make it happen. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Go ahead, Jake. Uh, I agree a lot with Rocco, and I think I may have talked to Rocco about this before. But I think they established pretty well in lore that the Sith Force ghosts are locked to the place they die. They kind of established that when Yoda uh, meets uh, Darth Bane and... I thought it would have been really interesting in these movies to have Anakin confront Kylo Ren and mid-conversation switch between Anakin and Vader and like the Vader force ghost being like, no, he's weak. Don't listen to him. The true power of the force is here. And then the other thing, I mean, I think JJ or Disney, whoever edited it, completely destroyed the Ray uh, help scene with the 
lightning and the lightsabers and the force ghost that should have been the force ghost standing behind them. And that should have been Anakin behind her. And I think it would have been interesting if even in that scene, as you know, he's force lightning, he looks away from Ray and looks at Anakin's force ghost and goes, my boy, you were weak. And now your family will die. And would have given that scene so much power and like even given us the fact that he can see the force ghosts like just a whole different level. Yeah. I think, I think there could have been a lot more organization throughout the three movies uh, to kind of, to kind of play into that. I do like the fact that the emperor in, in rise was like, you know, I made all this happen. I was the puppet, the puppet master, whatever. And that could have played into like what you guys are talking about, like the evil force ghost, you know, something like that would have been a really nice play maybe. Um, but think about this, like here, if you're saying like a force ghost should exist where it lay or wherever it fell, then Anakin should be on Mustafar. Right. And so when Kylo's in Mustafar, the beginning of rise, maybe he should have ran an Anakin somehow or, well, or whatever. So Anakin my, was saved, though. So I yeah, so my point to that was Anakin was saved, so he is different. He can leave that place, and with it, he is the first ever Sith Force mm. ghost who can exist more than where he died. Two okay. things. One, when Yoda had that one, like they even because in, in Clone Wars, they even say that it's all in his head, right? Because Sith can't do that Force ghost thing, right? Um, but have they ever said who, what force ghosts on, like probably in the comics or books, what force ghosts can visit who, like, cause as far as the movies go, it seems like you can only see the force ghosts of characters you've met when they were living as far as the movies go. Right. And even in the clone wars, Yoda knew Qui-Gon and he gets to see Qui-Gon. Um, Luke knew Obi-Wan and Yoda and his father. And so he gets to see all three of those. And that's another issue I have with like the young one coming in. No, because Luke knew the adult one. And that's maybe why he's seeing his force ghost like that. So and then Ray knew Luke. And and so you can see that. But in you know, and to, even when Luke sees Yoda again in the in that one in in the in the sequels, you know, is there any rule on that? Because I mean, that might be the reason where, like, you couldn't have them all show up other than the voice. And just getting the voice in itself was a connection that Ray had that was almost ex- – was that extreme. That, you know, normally you can only see the Force Ghost of someone you knew in their normal body. But, like, her connection with the Force is so extreme where she actually gets to hear everyone that's been part of this story. I, I don't think it – is it's not well established because Qui-Gon's the first to relearn it. He teaches Yoda. He teaches Obi-Wan when he's a force ghost. And then they of course teach Luke and somehow some way they teach Anakin the skill before he dies. Like Obi-Wan's force ghost is standing over Luke's shoulder as he's dying being like, okay, this is what you do. And you'll be a force ghost. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that, that kind of whatever happens in the original trilogy kind of breaks down anything because when we look at that those movies those are the ultimate canon right and so 
we can argue against everything they try to they change a little bit or or make a little bit more complicated. Um, you know, it's a really good point because when you look at that Moses, every example of of that it looks that way, right? But then, I mean, if they're in the force and they're communing with each other, that you can look at it that way as well. So, I guess maybe your point with Ray being super powerful that she has that ultimate ability to maybe tap into all of it. I don't know. You know, it's. I don't think it's that. I'm just saying maybe that was the reason they just didn't all appear there yeah. because that also opens the window. Okay, why didn't Qui Gon just get in touch with Luke or Leia? So, like, if you mm-hmm. if you take away that rule where a Force Ghost can appear to anyone. Then they're just like, oh, you, you open more loopholes to the, mm-hmm. to the story as a whole. Why didn't he show up there? Why didn't he show up there? But if, you know, if part of obviously this fictional story is that maybe there needs to be some connection between the person and the force ghost in order to see the force ghost, not that the force ghost isn't there, you know, then you close that loophole. You're like, all right, you, you only have a smaller window of who can contact her and make this, you know, make the story work without you know, throwing everything out the window. So okay. that I'm just saying that might've been the reason why they, they didn't have everyone show, even though that would have been cool. Um, you know? Yeah. No. Um, why don't you email Pablo Hidalgo? Ask him. <laughs> He's got the answer to that one for, for everybody. Oh, <laughs> He's only one. <laughs> and Filoni and Lucas in a room and just hang out and talk about all this shit. <laughs> Do a podcast, right? Uh, all right. Um, we're going to go to who's up uh, Colin, right? So I, I'm, I don't know how many of you read the, the books that are now considered legends, but to me, I, I can't remember if it was truce of Bakura or pr- courtship of princess Leia, but there was a scene that sticks out to me when Anakin shows himself to Leia and he has a conversation with her. And she it's her first time that she actually gets to have a conversation with him outside of, I think, at least up until that point, because this was before even the prequels took place and everything, um, that she'd spoken to him beyond episode four. She had never spoken to him after that point. You know, she just knew him as this monster the whole time. And all she saw was Luke's hope to make a good guy. And that he comes back from the Death Star to the moon of Endor and says, hey, guess what? Made them made him a good guy. The guy that killed your entire planet. Yeah, good guy. So I would have loved to have seen that image. If God, God willing, Carrie Fisher had, you know, lived and she was able to film episode nine. I would have loved to see that confrontation between her and Anakin in that movie just to have that closure where she could see her father as the good person he was prior to Vader. Or if they had made the prequels soon enough that we could get them while they're building the the new Jedi um, the Jedi Academy, or if they had recast, et cetera, et cetera, just to see that scene where she gets to take out her anger on him and him just taking it going, you know, I understand where you're coming from. I know you're angry that I've, I've done such monstrous things and somehow I'm redeemed of it. That was such a great conversation in the book. And I would have loved Disney or whomever was making these, these sequel trilogies to have the guts to talk about that. That here is a character so vicious and villainous that was redeemed literally at the last second who is somehow able to 
be immortalized in the good side, the light side of the force. And the people who survive the atrocities that he's done have to come to terms that he's a good person. What an incredible thing I would have loved to have seen in those movies. Those are, those are two really good books. Uh, I don't know. I can't, I can't remember, honestly. Um, the courtship of princess Leia is an excellent book. Um, also the, one of the first times we see the witches of Dathomir actually. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's really a, a good point. Have you ever read um, the comic Infinities? No. Check that out. Um, it's like an alternate story of what would have happened if I don't want to spoil any, but it's an alternate OT story. Is this the uh, one where Darth Vader's in a white suit? Yes. Okay. I, yes. I haven't read it, but I've seen the artwork. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So that I don't know if it's that'll really quench your thirst for that, but that is more of a Leia story um, in a way. So, yeah. Um, excellent. I love when people bring up the EU. Uh, go ahead, Moses. Um, I'm both pro and against that. Like, I've always been a fan of, uh, like, the generational cycle of stories. Um, and you'll see that with a lot of, you know, fantasy books that have to do with, like reincarnation of heroes or villains of the good guy and the bad guy. And so I, I liked the idea that, you know, this sequel trilogy kind of had that, um, with, you know, and that, I think that's what Disney was trying to do is just kind of pass the baton. Um, you know, obviously they could have possibly done a better job and kept more of the original character and the original story going till the baton was passed. Um, and so I didn't mind that they didn't have more of Anakin. Uh, I, I liked the idea of, you know, again, it is about these new characters. But the fact – but I did wish there was more of Anakin or, like you said, like an evil Vader, kind of a, a false f force ghost on Kylo's side. I feel like it would have been cool to see – because he was obviously obsessed with his grandfather – and it would have been cool to see like the corruption, like the, the person talking like over the little devil over the shoulder or whatever. Um, so, yeah, that, that would have been nice and interesting and, and stuff. So, it's you know, I'm not mad that they didn't, but it could have gone either way. I'd be happy. Um, there's a lot of things that could have been changed in those movies. So this isn't one of the main ones, in my opinion. Yeah, I um I always I always wonder if they had other things planned. Uh of course we can all speculate about that. Those I felt like Disney sh like it was just shooing in these characters in a way I I like I like what they did, but it was I don't feel like it was a proper addition to to call it the Skywalker saga. It's not the Skywalker saga. It's it it becomes something else. It become, becomes something more, I guess, you know. Um so I, I understand what Disney did. I don't always like it, but um, and I feel like there could have been some some changes made to this mo these movies. But you can't change what happened already. So I will say that back to the earlier question. I um, I was pro not changing Force Ghost of, of Vader to you know to Ant to to the young Anakin, um, and so that would have just annoyed me seeing him in this one. Be like. No, I want the old one. If you're going to use the Force Ghost, you got to like make the old one. Like, 
not not the young. So it would have just been a reminder of that to me. Anybody else have anything to say about that? Good. All right. All right. So we're going to jump to our last question. And this is a what if scenario. Uh, some of my favorite comics from childhood were the Marvel what ifs. Uh, so, and I just mentioned Infinities too. So that's a good one. Um, what if Anakin had not turned to the dark side? How would you have pictured the alternate events playing out? Go ahead, Rocco. Uh- um, I know we had one podcast we did to Star Warriors live at one point, and uh, my brother was the only one commenting live. And the one thing he said that he and I talked about after the fact was the whole story would have ended if Mace would have just fucking taken Anakin with him to confront the Emperor. Like, if he would have just, instead of saying, wait here at the temple and just say, hey, just come with me, you know, Anakin would have seen everything that happened and Anakin probably would have done the right thing and helped Mace Windu. And uh, starting from there, you know, that's, that's my theory. Starting there, they end up executing the emperor. Um, and then it becomes very messy because now the Jedi, uh, they still executed, you know, uh, a politician, the, the grand chancellor for that matter. And, um, you know, there's a whole big thing now. I think more along the lines of what Yoda said, or was it Yoda or was it uh, Mace Windu that said that it would it would be dangerous because the Jedi would have to take over the government for a short period, and that really takes us to a dangerous place. And if you think about it, it's a religious entity that's taking over the government. You know, how are we going to explain that to everyone? Um, so I see that in itself being its own story and very tumultuous. Um, I see Padme taking uh, a major lead. I see Anakin leaving the Jedi Order because he's just like, all right, so she's got a baby, and that fucker looks like me. So, yeah, I mean, Obi-Wan knew. I mean, we all know Obi-Wan knew. And and probably, you know, Obi-Wan probably still hangs out in the weekends, you know. Uh, that's kind of how I see that whole thing playing out. Just a, a, still a big galactic mess, but not, you know, uh, a genocide of a religious folk and Anakin leaving the order to raise his family. Um, and then all of the drama that comes along with that and, uh, Padme trying to, you know, fill in a leadership role with the chancellor being gone and the fallout of finding out they were duped. I mean, shit, how bad would you feel? How stupid would you feel, you know, knowing that this guy you trusted is actually evil as hell? So I, I think it wouldn't just be sunshine and roses if uh, if Anakin didn't turn into Vader. We'd have a whole slew of different problems. Um, that, those are my thoughts. That could play out pretty good, too. I like that, where where the Jedi are looked at as assassins, and now it's kind of like this fall from fall from grace for them. And so maybe then they're hunted down, you know, by it's possible by the government, you know, and it all comes to the same situation, you know, maybe, maybe Anakin is already too far gone and goes to become the emperor, you know? So it's like, there could be some cool situations that, that come out of that. I like that. And then who else knows about order 66? Like maybe we'd find a whole separate story of besides Palpatine, besides good old Sheev, Someone else knew about Order 66 and was like, ah, oh, fuck, he's dead. Ah, oh, shit, Order 66, come on, come on. You know, <laughs> like, 
you know, who, who knows? Who knows? Exactly. Go ahead, Jake. I'm going to take Rocco's answer, take some of the elements, put it all in a blender, and build on it. Uh, so I think the same thing happens. You know, Mace takes him, uh, they kill uh, the Emperor, and that starts everything new. I think quickly the the Clone Wars are done, the Jedi take over the government. Uh, I'm going to be a bad Star Wars fan and can't remember Pelp's uh, right-hand man, the blue guy. His name Maz, Maz yeah he 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 puts in order 66 but the jedi are prepared because they've already taken over the government and know about it so that starts the jedi clone war which plays out and during that uh the whole fact that the emperor was hiding right underneath their feet along with the jedi finding out that anakin's been having a secret relationship actually calls a, causes a schism and split in the Jedi Order. And we end up with two different orders. And I'm, I'm going to take a crazy point here and say, Mace and Anakin go and start a single order that's not as strictly adherent to the Jedi Code. Will Yoda and Obi-Wan stay behind and follow the classic Jedi Code? And then we start the schism which i don't think turns into a war but that creates a whole new galaxy i like that one that's a that's interesting um did anybody ever read that mace windu shatterpoint book back back in the day yeah mace windu is a much different different jedi than uh than 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 you would think uh so i do i do agree with that that he would not probably be part of of your general Jedi order. And that would be kind of an interesting thing. If, if Mace Windu would have, would have survived, how would that have looked, you know, for the future of star Wars um, with these, these very powerful Jedi masters still roaming around the galaxy and their influence. And that kind of goes back to like Rocco's thing. It's like, I mean, we're still, we're kind of in the, in the same boat uh, in this country where, where it's almost like this religious wave is, is trying to take over. And how do people see that? You know? So it's, it's 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 very interesting to, to kind of think about what would happen if the Jedi were not executed and what their what would have happened to the galaxy. So, uh, go ahead, Con. I don't. I see a world where Anakin goes with Mace to that point because that's that's ultimately the shatter point. But he goes with Mace, and instead of killing the Emperor, the Emperor still believes he can manipulate Anakin. And so he allows himself to be arrested after a fight, taken down a couple of dudes, you know, Kit Fisto and all those dudes go down, but Mace and Anakin are able to subdue him, subdue him. And during his reveal as the dark Lord of the Sith, the Senate starts to, you know, come back to normalcy there out of his grasp and so forth. And then we're, and the war ends because of this, and slowly but surely, Obi-Wan starts to suspect that there is something within the way that the Emperor has been manipulating everyone. And Obi-Wan is the one who begins to doubt. And he still wants to protect the one thing, and that was his promise to Qui-Gon, which was training Anakin and keeping him safe from the emperor. So 
in his means to protect Anakin, he kills um, he kills the Emperor and thus creating a new war within the Jedi because there are those who agree with Anakin and those who agree with Obi-Wan and thus we have the split between the two, but neither of them are technically evil. Anakin continues to have his family with Padme and the kids and the kids eventually they grow up and that's where we have that split that kind of mirrors what happened in the Legends books with uh, Jason and Jaina and we have them split apart and the war picks up at the end of what would be I would say somewhere in the timeline of episode seven and eight, if my math is correct here, where they have chosen sides to go with the aging wise Anakin, uh, wise Anakin, who is their grandfather. One of them has, but the other one has chosen to stick with the grand uh, leader of the new force masters of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And we still continue that war there. That's how I would see if Anakin was not falling to the dark side we just see an internal war continuously throughout the jedi and that you know that's funny it goes back to our discussion about villains and how they they don't think they're but they're bad right it's always about your motivations and how mm-hmm. how and what you do so it would be interesting to see how the dark side is manipulating the jedi almost in that mm-hmm. in that in that aspect because it's our why are the Jedi kind of, why do they have this division? Why, why can't they, they get along? And is there something else doing that? You know, so that, I, that whole, yeah, that's really cool. Um, and bringing in like the future uh, that it, it continues that far down, you know, this, like I said before, it's the exact opposite of uh, how the Jedi just disappeared from the galaxy. Instead, now they're very numerous and, and powerful. So eventually that power can lead to corruption, you know, so it's, it'd be interesting to see how that played out. Uh, go ahead, go ahead, Moses. Um, I think it'd be interesting. Uh, a couple aspects that might be cool to to see. One, I think, uh, one with the revelation that you know Palpatine was a Sith Lord might bring him back a whole resurgence of Siths. And yeah, there's the rule there can only be one Sith, but you know it's been a thousand years since most of them have showed up. So now they're just like, oh, looks like you know we're back in <laughs> we're back in the picture. Who's gonna take control and there might be a bunch of dark users on their own fighting on who wants to be the Sith. So that'll be, that would be cool. And obviously keeps a window open for always have like the antagonist to the Jedi. But I think as far as the Jedi, it would be interesting just to see them as a, as a monastic, a monastic, like a monastery and, and the, the, the monks that they used to be because they weren't always, you know, so involved in the political things of stuff. Um, and, and, you know, you see that everywhere you see it in the, in the sequels and what a lot of people hated. And I know, I think some of you guys hated who Luke was, but like one of the issues I had with the prequels, even before the sequels came out was just like, how are these monks like basically warriors for politics? It bothered me to, to see them so involved in everything. And like, it bothered me that, you know, I mean, obviously not in a bad storytelling kind of way. I'm just like, they're not the Jedis that I, I, I hold noble in my heart. You know what I mean? They, they, they're so convoluted with the politics and that they can't even see Palpatine growing there for him, right? You know, growing his power in front of them, with them, using them. 
And so that was, to me, one of the things that Luke hated. He even says it at some point, like at the height of, of the power, like the Jedi just couldn't even see that coming. So I always liked that about Luke. And when you go back into, you know, like I said, the subtleties of Clone Wars, you actually see that's some of the stuff. And that's even in episode three, one of the things that Lucas did a good job with. But he just felt a little too rushed and and kind of squeezed into a a two and a half hour movie. Anakin hated all the political games that that Jedi were playing. Oh, you're not. You're going to be in this. You're a Jedi, you know, in the council, but you're not a master. Also, you're going to spy on him. I mean, that was one of the reasons like he was so against killing Palpatine, even with Mace, because he's like, that's not the rule. We're Jedi. We can't just go killing people. And and he was conflicted there. And there's, again, back to that scene where Ahsoka leaves she goes, you know, she's upset about all this political games and, and, and stuff that's going on within the Jedi order that, you know, the fact that how they, she got blamed, you know, it, it failed her and she saw that and she saw how it's kind of lost its way. And she's like, I'm done. And there's this quick scene where Anakin looks at her and she's like, believe me, Ahsoka, I get it. I know exactly what you're saying. And then she looks at him and she's like, I know. It's almost like she already knows his own conflicts that are going to, you know, hit him later on. And so, you know, in a, in a post-Anakin makes it kind of world, I feel like he might be someone who would have possibly led a, a change in, in the Jedi Order and maybe like pulled him away from politics and then put them in – you know what, we're all just going to spread out and go help people around, you know, almost do what Ahsoka does. And, you know, Ahsoka might be coming back at that point, too, because, you know, obviously it would have been different. So I, I like to see uh, it's almost like going back to the roots, roots that kind of we grew up believing in when we first the original, you know, when we first saw the original trilogy, you know, these Jedis are, are, are their own thing trying to keep peace. And, you know, they don't have to do with politics. They're just there to help people. And, you know, now you have, you know, on the other side, the resurgence of possible Sith Lords. So that's one of their opponents. But that had been a cool, a cool, you know, expansion. Yeah, I do. I, I like that idea uh, where where you said they're more like monks in society and they're just kind of incorporated in there. And, and that's that's the role. If they can step away, if it's not too late at that point, you know, that's kind of my thought, too. It's like they've been through this war. They they took that step to the dark side in a way. So can you ever really recover from that? But what I'm really excited for is um, the High Republic because we're going to see a new time period where Jedis are very established and they are just, you know, they're there and we're not even sure really. We're, we don't know what's going to happen in the stories, of course, and how it's going to play out or how they're represented. I just I hope they do it in a different way than they did with the Republic um, and that it's a little it's it's a little bit different storytelling. So it does give a little bit of a different side to who the Jedi were at that point um, because we're familiar with, with KOTOR and, 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 you know, tales of the Jedi and how it all started and, and going back that far and kind of that fun stuff. And then also what we've learned in the prequels and what we, like you're just talking about what we assumed were Jedis um, just from what we knew from the original trilogy. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that, that high, that high time of, of the Jedi. Yeah, but it does have the word Republic in it, which makes it political. It's honest, but that worry, but who knows? Like, yeah, the dynamic might be entirely different, but that's really, it's really more the time period, um, you know, and 
the Republic was around during the, you know, during KOTOR as well. So it was always, it's, it's always been politics in Star Wars. It's, it's probably yeah, the best part about it. That's one of the things about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And the Jedi was getting wrapped up in it. So, well, guys, it's been a pleasure talking about Darth Vader tonight. Uh, it's always fun to do these podcasts with you guys. So thank you for joining me. Um, do any of you have anything you want to plug before we, uh, we jump off the air today? Everyone's good. All um, right. If, yeah, go ahead, Rocco. If no one else, just make sure you're not listening to the Critical Mass podcast because it's trash. <laughs> Ear garbage. Ear. Ears will bleed. Um, yep. No, check out Rocco. Uh, he and Dan do Critical Mass, talk about all things politics and society, and, and uh, it's not safe for work. So remember that. Um, Anyways, guys, uh, check it, check out the episodes of Star Warriors over on don'tforgettatowel.com. Uh, this is our 10th episode, uh, which is pretty awesome. So uh, let's keep rocking it, and uh, we'll be back uh, with another one soon, probably next month. So may the Force be with you all. Peace.